Hanoi says United States bombing has injured Americans held in prisoner of war camp. Pentagon accuses North Vietnam of endangering the POWs by putting camps in areas exposed to the dangers of war. 25 persons arrested in anti-war demonstration in Times Square. School Chancellor Harvey Scribner resigns. That's the latest from the WOR Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. Now, Gene Shepard. Shepard, has it occurred to you that you look just exactly, he says, with that uh, handlebar mustache you got, he says, you look just exactly like the kind of guy that the good guys in all the westerns get up on their horses and form a posse to ride out after. Let's go, man.
Listen, Nick, uh, uh, set up the next cut. Do you like that? Uh, the nitty-ditty, the nitty-gritty dirt band. <laughs> now, now, the reason I'm doing this, I'm doing this for you. This is a special public service we're doing here tonight. <sighs> that uh, shakes up the ashes. Yes, sir. Now you're talking to soul talk. You know, I'll tell you, the reason we're doing this tonight, just sitting here looking at my Jew's harp, and I have gotten probably uh, 50, 75, 100 letters in the past week from people who say, where can I get a good Jew's harp? I want to get a good Jew's harp for their kid. And uh, Or I've gotten letters immediately after Christmas. I'll get the same letters that say, uh, well, we got this Jew's harp, and uh, Clarence can't play it. <laughs> Please tell us how to play the Jew's harp. Well, that's roughly like getting a violin for Christmas and then getting bugged because you can't play it. And then writing a letter to Isaac Stern saying, you know, we got this uh, Stradivarius for Howie and he can't play it. Would you please tell us how to play it? you got to be born to this damn thing. And uh, it's the truth. It really is. And uh, and for those of you who are who are really... Uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a mistake in some ways to get a kid or anybody for Christmas a, a musical instrument. Now, it sounds like a good idea, but more people have had terrible, uh, uh, traumatic uh, conditions develop over getting a fantastic musical instrument for Christmas and then never learning how to play the damn thing. There's nothing worse than a $600 guitar slowly gathering a pile of galoshes on top of it in the closet. Oh, man, that makes a guy's conscience really hurt. Every time he opens a closet, you know, there it is. That great big sign on the case that says Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that reminds me, and, and also it can be a terrible letdown. I remember, I remember the time uh, Bruner, this kid that I, you know, would hang around the kids. See, we, we always, always big thing about what you're going to get for Christmas and stuff. See, and uh, everybody had these these great plans. You know what they wanted for Christmas, and the uh, the greatest ideas you had, you generally didn't say anything about it because there's a great. Uh, there was a great uh, superstition that if you ever said anything about something, it never happened. You know, you know that uh, that feeling that uh, if you if you're you know if you're watching a football game or or if you're watching a ball game or something, you say, all right, all right, come on, get a hold of one, uh, you know, get a hold of one, Big Mac, you know, put it out of the park, put it out of the park. He's going to put it out of the park, Fred. Watch. The, invariably, your friend will say, oh, you blew it now. You said it. He'll never do it now. <laughs> How many no-hit games have been killed? By just sitting there watching TV, and all of a sudden, late in the eighth inning, Seaver's got a no-hitter going, and some chowderhead has to come and say, Hey, do you realize he's got a no-hitter going? And just as he gets that out of his trap, pow! Somebody gets a hold of one, and it bounces off the scoreboard, and with that, uh, Seaver just sort of droops a little bit and goes back, paw on the mound, picks up the rosin bag, and he knows some idiot watching the ball game on TV has killed his chances again. Well, so there is a great deal of that involved in Christmas gifts. You never would say out loud what you really seriously wanted. Uh, you know, we, we used to go through the routine of pretending we wanted a lot of stuff, but the real stuff, you don't talk. Well, Bruner was like the rest of us. And a couple of days after Christmas, you know, when all the dust has settled and the paper has been burnt and all the ribbons have been put back in a closet and jazz and the Christmas gifts are now a fait accompli, you knew what they were. I met Bruner back at the garage, and he had been kind of out of circulation for a couple of days. We did not see Bruner. 
he did not meet with the old crowd. Well, there was Bruner hanging around the back of the garage. I says, what'd you get for Christmas, Bruner? There's a pregnant pause, and he said the following. It's the kind of phrase that strikes terror into the gut of any right-thinking human being. He says, what did you get for Christmas, Bruner? A piano, he said. I says, a piano? A piano? What the hell? A piano? Yeah, piano. I said, you got a piano for Christmas? Yeah. I said, what, what are you going to do with it? I said, what do you think I'm going to do with it? i got to take lessons. Oh, God. When I realized that could have been any of us, that could have been Schwartz, that could have been me. Bruner got a piano for Christmas. And incidentally, it changed his character because... First of all, Bruner had been a great guy for Saturday morning. You know, we, we played a lot of our hockey, shinny, anything else we played from about 8 o'clock in the morning Saturday until the last light went out, until it was dark, and you were playing out there, and, you, you know, you're getting a tin can in the ear. Well, Bruner, every Saturday morning from that time on at 9 a.m., would be standing down on the street corner waiting for the bus to take him to his piano teacher to learn how to play chopsticks. Changed Bruner's whole personality. He became introverted, defensive, defensive as hell. And he lost weight. Bruner could have could have become a fairly decent backfield man, but he lost weight due to the fact that, you know, sitting there playing that damn piano. And he used to have to practice one hour a day. And I don't know, you know, what later became of Bruner. I know a lot of things about Bruner that later became... He turned out, by the way, to be no damn good later on in life. And I suspect that much of it had to do with that evil piano that was visited upon him in a vulnerable period in his life. And by the way, this piano happened to have other characteristics. First of all, it was what they call a spinet, which is a delicate, elegant piano. Now, if they had given him an upright, the kind of piano we had down at the... Flicks Tavern, for example, or down at the Bluebird. Now they had a real, you know, they had real pianos down there with the with the cigar burns on all of them and the and rings where they put the beer glasses and <laughs> you know that was a different kind of a piano. There is a difference between one of those uprights that, uh, by the way, uh, Bob Umball would play. Now Bob Umball would sit at the piano, hunched down. And uh, he would be drinking his beer. We had we had a piano in the gym in school, and he would be sitting there playing away like a, you know like a demented fiend. And he he didn't play uh, Chopin's etudes. He sat there and drank beer and played uh, you know upright piano stuff and sweated the back of his neck sweated. Well, Bruner never learned to play that kind of stuff, and so he became somewhat of an aesthetic, an estate, Bruner. And I think many of us, uh, many of us fear these these uh, these th- these things that deal with the conscience. So I would suggest that any of you are planning to get a, a musical instrument for your kid, you better reconsider. <laughs> Do you, does your kid really want to learn to play the clarinet? Is he driven to the bassoon? I mean, is there some distant muse that is beckoning him to play the peck horn? I don't know. I know one guy that was almost, his, his, his entire life was almost destroyed by the peckhorn. You know him, Milt Kamen. Yeah, Milt Kamen, my buddy Milt. 
Milt Kamen was from very early days. He was misdirected uh, from the, about the age of nine to become a French horn player. To begin with, the French horn is a devilish instrument. It's a mean, mean mother. In fact, there are times when a French horn will play you if you let it get it out of control. And it can make some awfully obscene noises. Yeah, the peck horn. That's the French horn, the one you put your hand in. When you, and it has a blatting sound, and it can sound very obscene if not played correctly. And they all, you know, there's a, there's an old, uh, there's an old, uh, English, well, it's a, it's a musician, a uh, bit of musician folklore. And that is that all peck horn players, due to the fact that the peck horn uh, requires a specific kind of embouchure and a terrible drive, requires a, a, a tremendous breath con concentration. And, uh, it, it does something to your brain. So, yes, all peckhorn players are crazy, along with oboe players. There has never been a sane oboe player ever walked the face of this earth. Drummers, too, occasionally are known uh, to have uh, a few rocks loose in the head. Due to the fact, the constant drumming, the constant heavy thumping, the constant the driving, pulsating beat, uh, yes, so, so uh, you know, the madness is rampant which reminds me, this is W.O.R., New York. And uh, would you please do the honors, Nick? Hit the money button, please, if you will. Oh, this is lovely. This is their singing. What is this? It's nice, but what is it all about? Oh, here it comes. Send a check or a money order to the WOR Children's Christmas Fund. Box 710, Times Square Station, New York 10036. Help make a less fortunate youngster's Christmas Day a merry one. Hey, Jen, what are you doing up at this hour? For God's sakes, we're up here walking around with the real people. <laughs> John Gambling. <laughs> now, let's see. What else do we have there? We got another goodie. Don't, don't go away. I have a scary story to tell you, gang. Oh, yeah. How about the House of Chan? If you're going to be coming in here over the holidays and you're going to be looking around for a good restaurant, I presume many people do, I want to suggest uh, the House of Chan. It's at 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, and uh, they have uh, elegant wonton soup. They have uh, tangy lemon chicken, great classics of Cantonese cooking, Peking duck, and all of these various things that they dispense there at the uh, House of Chan are inscrutably delicious, inscrutably just madly delicious. So if you're getting tired of fig newtons, and if you're getting tired of uh, canned figs, I would like to suggest that you try the House of Chan. They have a nice bar there, too. And they celebrate Christmas the Chinese way. They have this, have this soup that fires off skyrockets. It's really good. That's uh, 7th Avenue and 52nd Street, the House of Chan. Oh, so unscrutable. Hey, speaking of the of the mysterious Chinese, I had one. No, wait, not yet, Nick. Speaking of the inscrutable Chinese, Nick, you're a, you're a New Yorker. You know you know the scene. Tonight, I had a great little New York experience. I'm standing on Seventh Avenue, seeing the rain is coming down. Actually, it was on the Broadway. The rain is drifting down, 
and Shep drifts out into the street there. See, I have I have all kinds of... Uh, being a true New Yorker, I have developed my cab-hailing techniques to a fine art. I know just exactly what I can tell when a guy's knocking down. I can, you know, I can, you know, you, you just tell the way the cab goes, see? And you get so that you can even see the, the silhouettes of, of uh, customers in the back seat when a guy's knocking down. He's got that off-duty sign. You see the crowd sitting in the back there, see? So, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm standing out there, and I hail this cab, and it stops, and it's a Chinese cab driver, which is somewhat of a rarity, but he then pulls a nice one on me, see? He pulls up. Apparently, I have developed recently, and I don't know why. Maybe it's my handlebar mustache, Nick. Do I look like a mark or a tourist? I don't think so. <laughs> but nevertheless, I, I'm, be, I'm being taken for one. So I sit in the back seat of the cab. I slide in, see, and I look in the rearview mirror, and suddenly the the Chinese cab driver turns. Oh, I said, and he had a great accent. He said, uh, he said, oh, good evening, sir. Where you go? And I said, I am going down to Tenth Street, directly down to Tenth Street in the village. Oh, I saw, I saw. You don't mind if I don't have I not put Mita down. Charge you only $2 and then include tip. I said, charge me only $2 and that includes the tip. No, yeah, very good. You go, you go down, no, no mark Mita. I said, uh, no. You mark Mita. He said, oh, all right, I mark Mita. I'll show. I mark Mita. And he reaches over and hits the meter. It starts ticking, see? So we start cooling on down Broadway, and we cut over to 7th Avenue, we get out in the rain, we arrive at 10th Street, and the, and the bill is $1.30. At which point he says, I want $1.30, please. I said, uh, yes, I, I notice uh, it's not $2. So yeah, yeah, not $2. Meter wrong. Meter bad meter. I said, okay, bad, bad, bad meter. I pay what uh, says on the meter. Bad meter, you, you go fix meter then. I give you, I give you one dollar thirty plus tip. Maybe only twelve cents, huh? How you like that? Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Uh, you know the un, uh, this inchoate cry of rage. Oh yeah, I'm on the mark meter. Well, meter wrong. I said okay. So I laid the dollar thirty on him, gave him a twelve cent tip, you know, for his efforts. At which point he hurled an inscrutably oriental curse word at me. Hungaiawaya. I said, oh yeah, well hungaiawaya up yours. And with that. We went on down the street, uh, each one of us taking his own, taking his own counsel. Do you mind if I sit in with the group here again? That's very nice. You like that, don't you? Listen, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> I would I would suggest uh, that uh, if you're if you're thinking of getting a kid a juice hat, uh, and uh, many of you are, that uh, steer clear of the of the juice harps. I'll, I'll give you some practical suggestions. Steer clear of the juice harps that look like they're made out of molded lead. You've seen that type. Uh, those are only good to make fishing. <laughs> weights and small anchors out of 
uh, they're not much good to play. But uh, I'll tell you this, though. On the other hand, if a kid does, does get one of those, uh, he should be able to play it. In other words, all Jews harps play. Some play better than others. So uh, don't think that the reason you can't play the Jews harp is because you got a bad Jews harp. I might point out also that maybe you don't have the call. See, to become a true Jews harp player, you have to have the same kind of inner call that has called great men to many re other religions in the past. It's basically a religious call. A Jews harp men never become famous. You must understand that. You agree, you agree with that, Nick? They never do. And uh, say, would you get me, uh, Lee, would you please bring your, your uh, the, uh, the jacket in, please? The jacket. Well, I, I just want the jacket. I don't know what that mysterious sign was that she was giving me there. Uh, does it have it, Does it have any of the stuff listed? Oh, I know that. I know that. I know which which one you got. I, I'm just uh, uh, here. It's the it's a it's which which side is it? Which one do we have here? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Here's the one I want. Here's the one I want. Here, here's the one I want. No, wait, just keep going here, down here, down here. Here, here. This is the cut I want. This is the cut I want. Do you want to hear, do you want to hear, speaking of fiddle playing, speaking of fiddle playing, Nick, would you set that up in there? I don't know whether any of you have heard this, uh, this type of uh, performing before, but uh, <laughs> I, rem I remember, uh, speaking of, of learning to play instruments, that, that when I started to play, now don't, don't get hooked on that record. Yeah, we're doing the show, please. When I started to uh, play the Jews harp, I must have been about, uh, oh, I would say about six, roughly. And I'm very serious. I was about six. And how I got a Jews harp, uh, I'll have to explain that. I, I, I did not go out and buy a Jews harp. Uh, it was one of those felicitous meetings. It just came about. Now, uh, uh, see, I think the thing that most New Yorkers uh, who come from a kind of affluent background, that kids, that, that culture is grafted on kids. So it's decided at a very early age that Marty will be a doctor. Or it's decided at a very early age that uh, Howie is going to be an entomologist. Or some elegant, uh, you know, very, uh, very learned profession. And that he should learn the violin. That's all part of culture. Well, he's forced to do this, so he never learns to love it at any point. He has to go through it. It's like girls taking uh, toe dancing lessons <laughs> or ballet. You know? So, so uh, it's it's a, truly an artificial problem. Well, we had this kid in school who uh, who played the violin in the in the uh, school orchestra. We had an orchestra, see, and this kid played the violin in the orchestra. Well, uh, in fact, I'll tell you what his name was. His name was his name was Frank Dergy. Well, Dergy uh, played the orchestra violin, you know, played straight. He played stuff like the Overture to Norma, which the uh, school orchestra played. But on Saturday night, Saturday night, uh, there was a place in town that had nothing but C&W music, which, by the way, was not considered esoteric in that area. It was considered indigenous. That was music. <laughs> it was just called music, you know. And guys like Hawkshaw Hawkins were always down there. Well, on Saturday night, he would go down and he would take his violin, which then had changed to a fiddle. See, the difference between a violin and a fiddle is mental. That the Eric Stern plays a violin, okay? Uh, the gentleman you're about to hear named Vassar Clements plays a fiddle. He is the Isaac Stern of his world. 
that Isaac, uh, Isaac Stern was never any better at what he does than Vassar Clements from Kissimmee, Florida, is at his. Do you know that every year that they have a, a, a national fiddle-playing champion, and this guy is legendary. He, uh, this guy, uh, Vassar Clements, to fiddle players, is like when you mention Ty Cobb, the ballplayers never heard of him. They, they never saw him play anything. He's a legend. Uh, this is a Vassar Clements. You see, this is a fiddle. Now listen carefully. see why at one uh, stage of my career the greatest moment in my creative uh, performing life was that I received the first money I ever earned in entertainment Nick was at the age of 15 I got five dollars for one night playing the Jews harp with the Colorado cowhands <laughs> place called the Roundup Bar. And uh, would you please, there's another one I want you to, want you to put on for me. If, uh, if, uh, see, I'm, you're listening to a professional. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, just a minute here. There's another one. Uh, now what, what, uh, would you please play, uh, would you, uh, was that Orange Blossom, Lee? Um, All right, uh, what, what's the next... Uh, do you have another one here, Lee? What was the one we played? Uh, the one with the train. That was it? Cannonball. Give me Cannonball. Yeah, oh, what's the matter with me? Cannonball, of course. This is a great classic. And, uh, again, this is... Uh, speaking of great classics, this is... Uh, this is uh, <laughs> Vassar Clements again, 
who was this mystic, wraith-like fiddle player. And, uh, and any of you who have ever seen a really good country fiddle player know that the fiddle is, is a highly expressive instrument in the hands of a really good country fiddler. And he holds the fiddle down low. He never puts it up under his chin, you know, like, like uh, Isaac Stern would. But he holds it down low, crooked, in the, in the crook of his elbow. And I, as I said, I, I played with a group, and they, we had a fiddler who was, who was so drunk that, that one night, no, I'm telling you a true story, one night, and they were so, they, such a natural fiddle player. I don't know why I'm telling you this, this story tonight, but the, <laughs> I just felt like doing it because I've gotten so many letters from people about the Jews' harp, and I'll tell you a little bit about it and the kind of music that comes out of it. If there was any influence on me at all, uh, as a as an early performer, it had to be something like the Hoosier uh, Hoosier Hot Shots. Uh, there were also other great uh, uh, Jews harp players who uh, who performed all around that area, and some of them were are, are still legendary. Uh, for example, there was a guy known uh, called Shovel Nose. Uh, he was he was when anybody heard he had a specific sound. Shovel Nose. Uh, Shugger, Shovel Nose Scott was his name. Shovel Nose Scott. And Shovel Nose, I don't know why he was called Shovel Nose, but Shovel Nose, apparently somebody hit him in the nose once with a shovel. But he had a distinctive sound on the Jew's harp. Now, his sound was as distinctive as, let us say, Louis Armstrong's sound on the trumpet. You, the, you hear one note of, of Armstrong's trumpet, you know it's Armstrong. He had such a special style. Well, Shovel Nose had such a special style on the Jews' harp that it was unmistakable. One one note you hear it, and it was his sound. Curious, rasping, uh, kind of an angry buzz sound. It's a fantastic sound. Well, as a kid, I'd hear him, see? And he was always on WLS in New York <laughs> with people called the Arkansas Woodchoppers. You ever hear the Arkansas Woodchoppers? Lula Bell and Scotty, Montana Slim. Uh, this is, uh, this is, I mean, this is a... A mean crew. Well, in the middle of all that, you know, guys like Hawkshaw Hawkins that show up once in a while, and you'd occasionally hear uh, Cowboy Copus. And uh, Cowboy Copus, I worked with Cowboy many, many times. I also worked with Grandpa Jones, by the way. So, and here I am, I'm an aspiring Jews harpist, see, and I'm hearing all these great Jews harp players. But then, then we got a fiddler. This fiddler came along, and his name was... His name was Little Davy Gregg. They always have names like that. See, Little Davy Gregg come along from Hazard, Kentucky. And Little Gre- Davy Gregg was the most, he was the most inspired, maniacal uh, player on the, the, uh, the fiddle that I ever saw in my life. He was inspired, but he was inspired in an unconscious way. The music come out of him, uh, you know, that's the way they talk. The music come out of him so natural he didn't even know he was playing it. And in fact, he was bombed so much of the time that one time, we played a show, and, and little Davy comes come out, see, and, and the MC says, and now it's time for the Devil's Breakdown. It's little Davy Gregg. See, Devil's Breakdown, they always doing. Oh, it's time for little Davy Gregg to come out. And little Davy Gregg has fallen behind the chair where the, you know, the band had these bands, it's, uh, see, <laughs> the little seats that were sitting on. He'd fallen down, he was laying behind the chair. So with that, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm playing bass and playing juice harp. I look down, and I see him there, so I grabbed him by his suspenders. See, we, we were we were fully dressed in, in the in the big Yank tuxedo. See, uh, we we were, our tuxedos, our band suits were made by Big Yank, 
And so uh, I reached down and I grabbed him by the suspenders, and the two of us held him up. Well, he he grabbed he, he grabbed a hold of his fiddle just in his drunken uh, in his drunken reflex. He knew it was time. And and the uh, and the Chet Atkins said to him, uh, Chet said, uh, it, it's time to play. So you got play, man. And with that, he he just his blank look. He looked like Laurel of Stan, you know, Laurel and Hardy, but a little one. See, and he's got this checkered suit, and 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 he's got checkered shirt, and he's wearing the uh, the. Uh, He's wearing the overalls, and he crooks that that thing up. And we had to hold him, both of us, on one on each side. I had his left shoulder, and Chet had his right shoulder, and he is playing that fiddle. I never heard anything like it. The people are screaming and yelling. He didn't even know what was going on. Well, and when he finished, we just laid him back down on the stage. <laughs> now, if you want to hear inspired fiddling, listen to this. Oh man, this this gets good. You can just see me. See, I, there I am. I'm standing up there wearing my, wearing my overalls. And I said, then, it's the Ohio River Jamboree being brought to you tonight by Purina Chick Chow. Purina Chick Chow in a big old checkered bag. All you folks out there that got hands with uh, with special land problems, we'd like to recommend Purina Chick Chow Special Land Mash. And now it's time for the fiddling and the mouth high playing. The old gang here is going to get out. And we're, by the way, we want you to keep before we... Before we get on our first tune, I want to remind you that all them letters and all them cards you folks been writing in been keeping us on the air. Now it's time for Vassar Clements and his fiddle to let you hear what that old cannon blows special sounds like. Let's hear it, Vassar. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you hear this guy, though? He's just standing back. He's laying back on it, Nick. Wait. Wabash Cannonball. Here we go. Ba dee dee, ba dee ba dee dee, ba ba dee da doo doo, la doo 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 doo, la doo da doo dee dee, la doo 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 dee dee. Ba ba da da, it's the Wabash Cannonball. Now listen. Did it again. <laughs> All right, come here, Nick. Yeah, yeah. All right, now. And of course, one of, one of the one of the basic uh, one of the basic sounds that they get out of this this uh, this fiddle is that is that it is a, it's a curiously haunting sound. Uh, they play they play breakdowns. They play uh, all kinds of special things for the fiddle. But one of the best sounds they get is that wailing. Sort of a fiddle blues. You got it on there, Nick? Come on, come on, come on. Let's go here. It's uh, it's on cut. Uh, yeah, well, lost highway ain't bad. Uh, yeah, lonesome, lonesome fiddle. You know, I'll tell you. Uh, there are other. Yes, <laughs> you blew that one, Lee. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, no, you never do anything wrong. It's just me. All the time. Let's go. I take responsibility. Anything.
Now, that's Dad's Juzar plant. You don't mind that, eh? You like that? How'd you, how'd you like that, Ed? Yes, this is nice, son. Now, uh, I might tell you, though, don't don't try that unless you've had a lifetime of practice. You wind up with a lot of bad teeth and a cut lip, a bruised thumb, and a lot of angry friends. So, <laughs> is there? Would you? Would you? Uh, is there another cut in there, Lee? Okay, let's let's. You want to hear? Uh, or you want to do the general tire? All right, she's all excited. You can see the commercial department is always with us. Do you have a? Well, this is a live, yes. And when Detroit chooses a new tire for their cars, how do they do it? Can't you just see Detroit walking around and kicking old Hupmobile wheels? Well, anyway, Detroit uh, picks, uh, you know, Ruby tires, of course. And the one that they first picked, uh, that as far as the radio world is concerned, is the famous general dual steel radial tire. First polyester and steel radial tire delivered to Detroit for original equipment. So you can start putting them on your car. Get the 40,000-mile dual steel radial from General Tire, available at your local General Tire headquarters. And at the Gertz Car Care Center, Mid-Island Shopping Center in Hicksville. Ask for Big Bill Cazera. He's the short guy with the fat cigar. Please. Yeah, yeah here we go. There's a breakdown. Now, this is real country fiddle. What's this guy now? I won't even mess with him. I'll, I'll play a few little background notes. I can't help it. This guy play.
You like that, Ed? Thank you. Well, I just had to do it. I just had to get it out. By the way, uh, uh, for those of you who are aficionados, I'm going to be on the Alex Bennett show tonight. Yeah, two o'clock in the morning, actually. Uh, good old FN. I think I'll bring my axle on. <laughs> And since that time, I have never been without my Jews heart. Since I was... And, I, and all through the army. In fact, I have one right here. Yeah, all through the army, I carried this type in the bottom of my barracks bag. And in moments of total despair, would reach down. What? I just got a letter from... What? <laughs> what is... Come on, you can say it. Hit the, the button. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. We, it was a khaki-colored Jews hat. They were painted O.D. And that's right, with the lead tongue. Yeah. Didn't get much sound out of it, but uh, it sure lined up good in your locker. <laughs> yeah, be sure to get your kid a piano for Christmas. He'd love it. Bring it out there. Bring it up there, Nick. Yes, sir. That's my baby. No, sir, I don't mean baby. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Yep, friends, we've been brought to you tonight by Purina Chick Chow, the special Chick Chow laying mash, and the big checkered bag. Keep them cards and the letters coming in. That old clock on the wall says it's time for us to leave now. And you just remember, Old Red is your friend, and Old Red is going to be back picking and singing for all of you. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't know that I'm basically a folk artist, did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith. He's got the news. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Words of protest, suspension of meetings, accusations, and a private letter from Saigon. All elements revolving tonight around the Vietnam War the United States' expanded bombing of North Vietnam and President Nixon's efforts to get a binding ceasefire between North and South Vietnam. Communist China, in a radio broadcast, said that one of her ships was damaged in the United States air raid on the North Vietnamese port of Haiphong. China protested and said the incident cannot but arouse the utmost indignation of the Chinese people. In Paris, North Vietnamese delegates to the regular Vietnam peace talks walked out during today's session in Washington, Pentagon spokesman Jerry Friedheim reacted to a Hanoi radio claim that prisoner of war camps were hit by American bombing by accusing North Vietnam of violating the Geneva Convention agreements. Friedheim said that if those camps were indeed hit, it was because Hanoi put them in areas particularly exposed to the dangers of war. At the Florida White House in Key Biscayne, President Nixon and Dr. Henry Kissinger are still waiting for Kissinger's aide, General Alexander Haig, to report on his Saigon meeting with President Chu. Haig is reportedly carrying a Chu letter in reply to a message from Mr. Nixon. The Florida White House acknowledged today that the President had sent a private letter to Chu, but White House News Secretary Ron Ziegler refused to say whether or not Chu got any kind of ultimatum to sign a peace pact with Hanoi. Tonight, the United States military command in Saigon